Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. It's time to roll your sleeves up and get your hands dirty with Friends of the Earth. Dirt Radio. And welcome to another edition of Dirt Radio. I'm John Langer. And I'm your co-host, Emma Watson. Elections here, elections there, elections just about everywhere. Mm, Pardon the uh, rhyming poetry, pretty lame. But it's true, internationally, there's one coming up in Italy, in Russia, Egypt, Cambodia, Mexico, Brazil, and of course the midterm elections in the United States happening in November. And here in Australia, there seems to be almost just as many. Over the next month, there are two state elections coming up. Tasmania goes to the polls on March 3rd, and South Australia follows two weeks later on March 17. We also have an upcoming Victorian state election this year in November, and maybe even a federal election later this year or early 2019. And Dirt Radio's been trying to keep up with some of the most more critical environmental issues. And uh, so first up from Tasmania, we've got Scott Jordan on the line. He's uh, Bernie-based and taking time out from working with the Bob Brown Foundation on the Tarkine campaign to run as a Greens candidate in the upcoming Tasmanian state election. So, Scott, you're campaigning in the, elect- in the electorate of Braddon, which is in Tasmania's northwest, so that includes uh, Devonport, Burnie and Olverston. Uh, can you uh, give us a bit of um, a background on, uh, on what you've been working on lately and what you're taking in to the, uh, the state election for the Greens? Yeah, look, good morning, guys. Uh, good morning, listeners. Uh, look, we, the electorate of Braddon in, in northwest Tasmania is um, it's formed on the same boundaries as the federal electorate. And, and um, many of you might have seen on election night when, the, when the, um, the numbers roll through from the tally room, Braddon's one of the most marginal seats in the country. And it's an area in northwest Tasmania that's largely been built on, on a history of mining and agriculture and, and um, forestry. And, and it's gone through some massive changes as a result of, of you know, essentially the world um, globalising and, and a lot of um, agricultural product um, having to shift away from, from bulk commodity um, sort of produce to, to more higher value, more, uh, more niche markets. Um, the forestry industry has had massive changes moving um, as markets have moved away from wanting native forest timber, in particular wanting rainforest timbers and wood chip and, and moving more into the plantation sector. And, and we've seen some massive upheavals um, you know, post the, the, the mining boom uh, that have seen mining um, shift you know, in terms of its focus. And so it's an electorate that's um, you know, gone through massive upheaval. And, and I guess in the middle of that, we have... The, the conflict around the the Tarkine rainforest. Then uh, we have uh, a huge area there, 180,000 hectares of rainforest within the Tarkine um, that that have been uh, 
recommended for national heritage listing, and in fact world heritage listing, on numerous occasions, yet we haven't found Labor or Liberal willing to um, do what needs to be done to to see that area fully protected. In fact, we, we've seen the current Liberal government rolling back protections on those rainforests that were put in place uh, under John Howard um, mm. you know, back in 2005 and, and even earlier. And so um, I, I've been campaigning a lot, um, unsurprisingly, on the Tarkine. Um, mm. It's something I've worked on for about 12 years and, and I want to see that area a national park. And, um, you know, the... The general feel in the community is they'd like to see it too, but it hasn't always been reflected at the ballot box. And so we, we're, we're working hard to make sure that people, I guess, understand that if, if you really want to see that area protected, it, it's going to need action in terms of your vote. Mm. And what are the community doing right now on the ground as far as protecting the Tarkine? Look, well, right now you've got um, people out in the forest at the moment that are camped in, in proposed forest coops uh, in order to try and protect those areas from logging. Uh, last year we were highly successful in, in preventing two um, forest coops um, on the Franklin River uh, in the Tarkine, uh, areas of yeah, wedge-tailed eagle habitat, um, of, of the giant freshwater crayfish, of Tasmanian devils and spotted-tailed quolls. And, and for five months, um, volunteers camped out in those forests to protect them and were successful in stopping the logging of them last year. And, and this year they've gone back into a, a few more coops in the hope of, of trying to prevent those from being logged. But yeah, they really are up against the, the power of a government down here that, that is prepared to, to throw money into loss-making native forest logging. Mm. Last year the Tasmanian government lost $53 million logging old-growth forests in Tasmania. Um, it, it lost $67 million the year before. It's, it's obscene that not only are we cutting down these areas, but the taxpayer is actually underwriting it. Mm. Um, so what do you think listeners here in Melbourne could do to, to best support the work being done in Tasmania right now to protect the, the Tarkine area as a declared national park and world heritage area? Well, look, there's certainly a number of groups that are working on the ground to try and see, um, see that outcome. Um, you know, we, we have the Bob Brown Foundation and we have uh, Save the Tarkine and, and a number of others that are active in the space to try and see this area protected. Um, you can always join those groups. You can donate to those groups. You can, you can volunteer and come down and help out on a forest camp or um, you know, even just come for a holiday. One of the big uh, factors in... in Trying to protect the Tarkine has been the promotion of tourism around the, the Tarkine region and, and is booming. I mean, we're seeing uh, new businesses opening up and we're seeing existing businesses you know, changing their offerings to encompass tours of the Tarkine. We're seeing lots of accommodation providers um, taking advantage of the increased visitation. But, you know, if people come down and see it, they, they'll fall in love with it, but also they'll be putting into that, um, that economy that, that shows that there, there are greater alternatives than, mm. than logging this thing as a loss. And, um, yeah, in Melbourne, you're fortunate. And you, um, you can hop on a plane at Tullamarine, and an hour later you can hop off the plane at, at the, the Bernie Wynyard Terminal here in, here in um, northwest Tasmania, and an hour and a half car and you're in the forest. So I've been mm. telling people, Melbourne, you're, you're two hours from the Tarkine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a beautiful place to go visit. Um, so if people want to actually join... a 
are the vigil camps that are in the Tarkine right now. How best can they get involved in that? Who do they reach out to, and uh, how can they um, how can they get to those camps and um, and get involved on the ground? Well, look, the, the campaigns in the forest at the moment, the, the camps are being run by the Bob Brown Foundation, and so you can you can contact the Bob Brown Foundation. Um, you can yeah. Uh, bobbrown.org.au uh, and so you can contact them through the links on the website and, and they'll put you in touch with uh, the, the people to coordinate getting in and out of camp. Um, it's, it's a, it's a non-violent protest camp. It really is about just being there and bearing witness to these magnificent forests and um, you know, while we've got people out there, we've been documenting them and putting out sauna cameras and, and, and yeah, showing people what there is and, and getting those images out to the world. Thank you. Thanks very much, Scott, for joining us this morning. And you can follow the work of the Bob Brown Foundation on their Facebook page as well. And again, as Scott mentioned, www.bobbrown.org.au. And that was Scott Jordan, and uh, he used to work for the Bob Brown Foundation, and uh, he's taking some time out to run as a Greens candidate, and we wish him all the best. We're Dirt Radio. Communities of Sound is a 3CR curated lineup of summer afternoon performances showcasing treaty, creative women, and diverse cultures. Join us at the Fairfield Amphitheatre on Sunday, February 18th, between 5 and 7.30 p.m. to enjoy live performances from Kucha Edwards, Tando, the West Papuan Band, Sweet Dreams, Manisha Njali, June Jones and Danny Sib. Pack a picnic to share with friends and family or grab a tasty bite and bevy from the 3CR food store. That's Sunday, 18th of February, 5 till 7.30 p.m. at the Fairfield Amphitheatre. For further details, call 94198377 or check out our website at 3cr.org.au. Presented as part of the City of Yarra's Fairfield and Feb series alongside Play On and Melbourne Ukulele Collective. The City of Yarra is a proud sponsor of 3CR. Have you heard about the Melbourne Electric Vehicle Expo? Find out what's happening with electric cars, bikes, skateboards, scooters, buses and more. It's at the Melbourne International Karting Complex in Todd Road, Port Melbourne on Sunday, February 18th. Come along and experience what it's like to drive or ride an electric vehicle. Attend focused seminars and tech talks. Entry is free. To find out more, go to evexpo.org.au. The Alternative Technology Association is a proud supporter of 3CR. Words are at radio, and uh, we're back. Well, we went to Tasmania, and uh, as we said, was elections coming, well, left, right, and center, as it were, left, right, and center. And uh, now we're off to South Australia, where there's a state election being held on Saturday, March the 17th. Mara Bonacci is on the line from Adelaide. She's a member of the Nuclear Free Collective at Faux Melbourne, but she's based in Adelaide and she's working on the Nuclear Waste Campaign for Conservation SA. Good morning. Hi, John. How are you? Good, good. We're well. 
Now, we're in Melbourne here, so folks listening probably may not know about your organization in Adelaide. Briefly tell us what Conservation SA is all about. Oh, Conservation Council, it's, um, there's one in each state, really, um, and it's, uh, it's the peak environment um, organisation for South Australia, so it represents about 50 member groups around the state. Um, it mostly works on various projects like flora and fauna and wildlife and wetlands and swamps and coasts and things like that, but I work on the campaign to stop a radioactive waste facility in South Australia. Great. Thanks, Mara. Um, It's Emma here. Um, There's a state election coming up in a few weeks. Yes, four and a bit. Four and a bit, not far to go. Um, So what's been the main focus of your campaign work in the lead-up? Well, our our focus leading up to the state election is to... um, try and get all the standing candidates to um, state their opinion on um, where they stand on the, on the waste dump proposal of South Australia. It's a federal proposal, but it is a state issue. There are three um, potential sites at the moment in South Australia for the federal radioactive waste management facility. There are two in Kimber on the Air Peninsula and one at Wallabadeen near Hawker in the Flinders Ranges. Um, but this isn't the first time that the federal government has tried to put a waste dump in South Australia. It happened about oh, 15, 20 years ago and the um, Cooper Pedy Kungajuda campaign stopped that um, and then the federal government wanted to put it up at Muckety um, near Tennant Creek in the Northern Territory and we won that campaign and then they changed the process a bit and they've put it back on South Australia, long story short. But in the year 2000, um, the state Liberal government at the time brought in the, uh, the Radioactive Waste Prohibition Act and that prohibits the establishment of radioactive waste facilities in South Australia. Um, and so we are trying to get all parties to say, right, we're going to stand up to the federal government and defend this legislation that stops radioactive waste facilities being legal in this state. Um, so we're trying to get a position from everyone. That The Greens, of course, are strong on that. They're um, anti-nukes, which is great. The Labor Party, the current Premier, Jay Weatherall, has written to Malcolm Turnbull saying that he needs to listen to the Aboriginal people who say no and give them power of veto. Um, but it is a federal decision at the end of the day, so we're trying to get all the parties to come out strong and say no. Um, in good news, last week, um, Rex Patrick, who took over from Nick Xenophon um, in the federal Senate when Nick Xenophon decided to run in the state level, in the state election with SA Best, um, Rex Patrick um, put forward a bill in the federal Senate to put um, for a Senate inquiry into the um, radioactive waste management facility site selection process because there's a lot of issues with it. It's... Mm. Um, bad is the short way to put it um and in the great news the senate approved that bill and so there now is going to be a senate inquiry into the process of the site selection which is really great news and submissions are due into the senate committee on the by the 8th of april so, so we're going to get busy. We're leading up to the election, trying to get all of, all the politicians to stand strong on, about that legislation and say no to nukes, um, and then looking forward, um, looking towards um, you know lobbying the, the federal government to stop the process and take a responsible um, approach mm-hmm. to waste management. 
Mara, just just to go back a, li- a little bit, you know, just to try and clarify this. So, so the, the the federal government is saying they'd like to put a, put a, a waste a nuclear waste dump in somewhere, but yes. but the state the state is actually legislated against it. What that's right? How, how does it? How does that work itself out? I mean, does does the federal uh, jurisdiction have? Uh, does it override the states on this? Constitutionally, yes. Yes, the um, federal government can override state legislation pretty much any time. And so we're trying to work through the legals of, you know, what would that mechanism be? like? Um, and if the state says no, can the federal government do it? Mm-hmm. Um, and um, uh, PANZA, who is the um, national um, regulator um, of the nuclear industry, can't actually issue a licence for a waste facility if there's no consent that goes against world's best practice and so we think that if people stand up and say, are very strong and say no it can't happen then with, if, even if it mm. gets a, approved by the federal government hopefully um, a panda can't give it a license my, Also my understanding from what I've read is that the feds are claiming it's a sort of low level uh, nuclear waste but in fact it's, it's more than that yeah, it is. It's actually, well, yeah, it, it is. There's low intermediate, um, low level waste and long lived intermediate level waste. Now, the intermediate level waste is Australia's most hazardous waste, and most of that comes out of the um, ANSTO operator, which is a government department, um, the ANSTO operated facility at Lucas Heights, south mm. of Sydney, the reactor there, and they produce medical isotopes and they do research there and everything. There's enough room to store the waste at Lucas Heights for at least 30 or 40 years, so there's no actual rush to get rid of it. Um, the, current mm. pro- the current proposal is for permanent disposal of the low-level waste, which and that's you know not that much of a hazard. It's only really about... You know, 100 years and it's not that radioactive and it's pretty safe. Whereas only, the intermediate level... Mara, only, only, only 100 years. I oh, know, but it gets better. <laughs> it gets better because the intermediate level waste, what they want to do is to create uh, more room at Lucas Heights so they can um, produce more um, radioisotopes because other parts of the world with their reactors are shutting them down. So um, Anstow's thinking, oh we can make more money by getting more of the global mm-hmm. market. Therefore, they're going to cre- if they do that, they need to create more waste and they need somewhere to put it. But the proposal for the intermediate level of waste is unbelievably flawed. They want to put it wherever the low-level waste is being permanently disposed and put it there for interim storage. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're going to move it. Mm. Wherever they want to put the, they mm. want to move it to wherever they put the dump, and at some point, at some time in the future, move it somewhere else. Mm. So it's double mm. handling with no plan. Everyone on the transport route would be mm. at risk, yes. and it's moving it twice. And it's completely irresponsible. It's not world's best practice, and they don't actually. So it would just be storage of that most dangerous waste that we have. It wouldn't be permanent disposal, and they haven't even thought. Mm. about what they're going to do with that. And that stuff's um, radioactive for 10,000 years. Um, I, I'm assuming that the, the, one of the reasons why they've selected the sites that they have is presumably they've argued that the, the ground is very stable um, and that there's not going to be any disturbances. 
Uh, I don't think they've actually really thought that through very well. At the site at Wallabadina and the Flinders Ranges, it's um, a flood zone. There's a lot of seismic activity there. It's not stable at all. There's these enormous old trees that got knocked over in a um, mm. in a flood in the 90s. And you can see, you can go out there and you can see the damage has been done. They want to put above-ground storage for the intermediate-level waste in a flood zone with seismic activity. Mm, it, mm. it is absolutely crazy. Um, so, yeah, the site selection process came about um, in the previous instances, the first one, South Australia, then up at Muckety, the government nominated sort of a site. Mm. This way is a bit different. Um, it's a voluntary site nomination process, but one individual landholder, and in this case it's an ex-Liberal senator who is an absent landlord who nominated his land. He's not even part of the community. Nominates nice. his land. Oh, that's awesome. Um, nominated his land. The, com- the neighbours, the community, didn't have a clue that it had been nominated. And, um, yeah, it makes no sense. And it got 28 sites got nominated um, mm. across Australia. It got no- We don't know all those sites. They weren't announced, mm. but mm. six were. Three were in South Australia. Um, one in New South Wales, one in Queensland, and one in Alice Springs, and it got narrowed down to the um, Flinders site. But then about a year later, two sites in Kimber came um, mm. back on the table, different sites to the original ones, but still Kimber. Um, and the nomination process is actually still open. Mm. So mm. They're, going, they're dividing these communities, they don't know what they're doing, and they, they're still open for site nominations with a, in a process that's fundamentally flawed. In Kimber, for example, the community is so divided, they've got one supermarket, the local IGA, um, and um, they're uh, pro-dump because I think it's going to be good for business. And anti-dump people don't shop there. Um, people have known each other their whole life, so they'll drive mm. you know, two hours to wow. you know Wyala or Port Lincoln to go wow. and buy their bread and milk and stuff like that. Wow. They want people in the community are so divided. I've heard stories of kids in primary school not being invited to mm. other mm. kids' birthday parties, depending on their parents' stance. It's really wow. and people are just in tears. It's uh, it's. When I say community division, I really mean yeah, community right. division. Wow. Mm. Uh, did you, talking about community uh, division and support, is, is your sense um, those are the specific places, but, but more generally throughout the state, is, is there a consciousness about this? And, and uh, do you think this is going to play out during the election? Yeah, it is starting to be an election issue, um, which is which is great. A lot of people making noise ab- uh, about it. We had a really successful rally in um December last year, on the 2nd of December, um, we met with Jay Weatherall. He's now, um, you know, written, as I mentioned before, men, uh, written to Malcolm Turnbull saying to um, listen to the Indigenous owners of the affected areas and their right of veto should hold, um, which is great. Um, the Senate inquiry coming out of the Nick Xenophon team, that's at a federal level, but they are related to SABS, so that's really good. They haven't come out publicly yet on mm. their position, but we know that they have a policy and we're trying to get that out of them. The Libs who brought in that original legislation in 2000 have been quiet at this point, but the community is getting loud and Mm, the community mm. is getting angry because it's getting forced on them. So we're just trying to build awareness and try and get the federal government to sit back and go, right, what is the best way to deal with this? Do Mm. we really need to move the intermediate level waste twice? Do we really need to produce more? And what is the best way to deal with it? Because that actually hasn't happened. They haven't had that discussion with independent experts. They're just trying to, like, put it out of sight, out of mind, in Mm -hmm. a remote community. Mm -hmm. 
Look, it's been really, really interesting talking to you, Mara, and uh, we wish you all the best. And uh, I was going to ask you this, but I, 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 there was a question I, I had at the end, which was, what's your educated guess in terms of the outcome of the of the election? And uh, but look, I, I think that's that's too hard a question, and may, mm. <laughs> maybe uh, maybe we'll just wait and see. And it's and, really interesting because, um, yeah, SA Best, the Nick Xenophon mob, they've um. They're, they're really, you know, power brokers here now, and they could end up with the balance of power. Mm. They could, at one point, a month or two ago in The Guardian, it said they got 42% of the primary vote in a in a poll. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if, you know, obviously I don't know if that's going to happen or not, but it looks like SA Best will actually come out mm. quite well mm. out mm. of this. And, what that, uh, and I think that means that the Libs and the Labor Party are running a bit scared of that yes. new threat. Um, and so... Hopefully we'll get a good balanced mm, anti-dump, mm. pro-environment, pro-community yes. government come in on the 17th of March. Well, we hope so too. And thanks so much for being on Dirt Radio, Mara. Oh, thank you so much for having me. All the best, Mara. Thank you. You've been listening to Mara Bonacci uh, from Adelaide, who's a member of the Nuclear Free Collective at Friends of the Earth Melbourne, but is based in Adelaide working for the Nuclear Waste Campaign at Conservation South Australia. And to find out If you want to follow the work of Mara Bonacci, who we just heard from the Nuclear Free Collective of Friends of the Earth and campaigner at Conservation South Australia, you can go to www.conservationsa.org.au forward slash nuclear. Well, that's it for Dirt Radio this week. And we are, of course, affiliated with Friends of the Earth Melbourne. And you can go to their website, fo.org.au. And we will put up the information that we were talking about on the 3CR Dirt Radio website. And we should have a podcast fairly soon as well. And the program is streamed for a week if you've missed it. And uh, we hope we will be speaking to you again next week.